your Locked on the New York Rangers, your daily podcast on the New York Rangers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Round number 14, picking up speed across the blue line. Muir scores. Has to go in sooner or later, Mike. It just has to. Now the Rangers are looking up and down their bench. They got to figure out who it's going to be. And now Strudwig. Jason Strudwig gets the chance on the play, and the Rangers need one here to continue this thing. The 14th round. 3 2 Washington in the shootout. It's Strudwick in. Fires and scores! Oh, baby. Oh, he beat Kolzik stick side high! Look at the reaction by the players. Oh, they're still alive! <laughs> Strudwick! Sometimes you get the unexpected. This was unexpected. The big defenseman moves oh, in. Baby. Similar to the goal scored by the Caps. Muir sticks side through the arm and the body exactly the same spot as Muir scored. Yeah, you got the, an idea the from unexpected. Muir. The unexpected. <laughs> Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 252 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. And as some of you have probably already figured out from that little bit of a hint we dropped in the intro just now, today's guest is going to be former New York Ranger defenseman Jason Strudwick. Jason played for the New York Rangers for three seasons. He also played for the Islanders, the Canucks, the Blackhawks, and the Oilers. And even though he was mostly, you know, a tough, physical, stay-at-home defenseman, that was arguably one of his biggest moments as a New York Ranger. Not even arguably, it was one of his biggest moments as a New York Ranger. So a lot of you probably remember this game. It was a regular season game against the Capitals in 2005, but you know, we might have some younger listeners, we might have some people who got into hockey a little bit later, may not remember this moment. Basically what happened, this is the first year that the NHL used a shootout, and the Rangers and Capitals were tied at 2-2, goes to the shootout, and it took 15 rounds to decide a winner, and in the 14th round of the shootout, the Capitals scored, so Jason Strudwick, you know, again, a big, tough, physical, stay-at-home defenseman, uh, played his role great with the Rangers, was a very popular player, but wasn't exactly known for his offensive prowess. He, nevertheless, steps up in the shootout, goes in and scores on Olaf Kolzig to keep the game going. And then in the 15th round of the shootout, the very next round, uh, Lundqvist makes a save, and then Merrick Malik has an opportunity for the Rangers, and he goes in and he scores and gives the Rangers the win. Malik put the puck between his own legs and basically just roofed it. It was just absolutely crazy. One of those games, if you're watching, you'll probably never forget it. But yeah, we're going to have Jason Strudwick on right now to talk about, obviously, this moment, this insane game that they played against the Capitals, as well as the rest of his NHL career, and specifically his three seasons as a New York Ranger. Jason is now the co-host of the Jason Greger show with Jason Greger himself on TSN 1260. He does a fantastic job there. So yeah, this is part one of our interview with Jason Strudwick. All right. And so Ranger fans, without any further ado, let's go ahead and welcome in our very special guest today, former New York Ranger defenseman, Jason Strudwick. Jason, how are we doing today? I'm good, Johnny. Thanks, buddy, for having me. Yeah, you got it, man. I figure uh, this is actually a great time to have you because we just passed the 15-year anniversary of that crazy shootout between the New York Rangers and Washington Capitals. You, of course, come through in the clutch in the 14th round for your team, uh, keeping the game alive there, setting the stage for Merrick Malik. But, I mean, what do you remember about that that game and that shootout? I mean, obviously the Rangers, you know, they start with Yager and Nylander and Straka, all the guys you would expect. But, I mean, at what point do you start thinking, wow, you know, my number could be called. I might have to go up there in the shootout here. Yeah, the crazy thing about the shootout is, like, back then I don't think we really knew much about it. You know, we had – it was the first year of the shootout – and I'm not going to lie, like usually in overtime, I'd get one shift. They'd go the top two pairs, then me on the third, and then the, the last two pairs. So after that, I'd usually kind of loosen up my skates and just relax. 
because even when it's a shootout, I was normally not getting a shot. Um, but what happens in the shootout is the goalies are both awesome. You have Kolzig and Lundqvist, whoever they are. But after you go after the first few shooters, the quality of the shooters, they, the players get shittier, right, as far as their ability <laughs> to score. Yeah. So the, the likelihood of scoring is actually going down as, as it goes deeper. So the chance, you know, the longer it goes, the chances of it going longer increase because the, the players are, like I say, again, worse. The goalies are still quality. So I think I started getting nervous around eight or nine. And I remember the trainer kind of looked at me and he's like, you better get ready. I'm like, oh, my God, no way. Then it gets to 12 and you're like, oh, my God, like these guys, there's some shitty players going off for both teams. Like shitty as far as goal scoring, right? Right. I know one of them. I'm in that group. So I'll never forget when Brian Muir went out there and he scored. I was like, there's no way this guy scored. And then he scored. I'm like, oh, my God. So there was just myself. There is Casperitis who, you know, had hands like flippers. Um, Merrick Malik and then Fedor Toon had broken his finger at a, at a, so he wasn't playing. So it was just the four of us and the backup goalie who might have been a good option actually. So uh, Tom Rennie says, Strutty, you're up. And I'm like, no, I didn't even look at him. I wouldn't look at him. Then he looks at me and he's like, you're up. And I, he just looked, gives me this one. I'm like, oh, geez. So I jump over the boards, nervous as hell. I got a score. Like MSG is, you know, if not my favorite building, two, one of my top two favorite buildings to play in. It's just unlike any other building. And the fans are jacked. My wife's there. My in-laws, like, it's just an awesome. Um, and uh, I go down there, it gets Olaf Kozik, and I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I'm everything. I just got to get a shot. Like, take a shot. Don't lose the puck and not get a shot on net. So I shot, and I found a little hole in there. And I wish I could tell you that was a sniper shot. I think it was lucky. And maybe the hand of God touched it as it went in there. You know, I don't know, like, like uh, soccer, uh, like Maradona's soccer goal. But anyways, it went in and I was, I was happy, but I was just so relieved because I didn't want to be the guy to not score, right? And yeah. then uh, to go back to the bench, just jacked up. The American Malik does what he does. It was, it was a cool group. Like that team, you know, we were really, you know, people picked us to finish, I think, near the bottom, if not last. And, um, there was just such a weird group of characters, Tom Manny trying to get himself, you know, established as a head coach again, you know, Henrik Lundqvist, you know, I, I didn't even know who he was before we get to training camp and there's a model in our, in our dressing room. Like, so it's a big, you know, it was a big year and that just, it was another part of a great thing where we turned that franchise around from, you know, kind of struggling to a hardworking, respected team in the NHL and it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, now, did you have any idea, you know, you're going in for the shootout there. Do instincts just kind of take over for you there? Did you have some idea of what you were looking to do? I mean, just kind of give me a feel for that if you can there. Yeah, if I had instincts, I would have used them. But I, like, I'm not, I'm not an offensive inclined guy. I, I, you know, all growing up, I, it's in fun scoring goals, but I didn't have that. I didn't, like, goal scorers have that burning desire to score. Where my desire was to make other people have bad days because they didn't score. Like, I love seeing people get frustrated when they were unable to score because of something I did. So I love that. And I, so I was kind of the opposite. So no, I, like I said, all I want to do is just get a shot on that. There was no way I was going to try to stick handle and lose the handle. I wanted to shoot it to make sure I had a chance to score. Uh, if you don't get a shot, you don't have a chance to score. I think, I think uh, Wayne, Wayne Grasky said something like that. So, you know, I, I just wanted to get it off. And honestly, I, I, I wish I had a better story, but I just found a hole. I don't know. That guy's a monster. Olaf Colsey. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I was actually on your Twitter page and you just interviewed him the other day talking about this very event. Um, what's his point of view on it? Because I saw he was joking around and, and thinking like, oh man, I'm up against Strudwig, this game's over. Yeah, yeah I think, well, yeah, I mean, I would think, think the same thing. You know, no disrespect to uh, myself, but um, like he, he, he'd said it, you know, at a time as well that you, you, the players pro progressively get worse and the goalies are still quality. 
So, you know, to have both Brian Muir and I score at that, at that moment, it is, it's very unlikely. Like, everyone in the world would have bet against us. Uh, but he, was, he had a good time with it, you know, and he, he, he was a lot like what I – it was a good show. Like, it was just fun to be a part of it. And, you know, he had a much larger role than I played, but it was just a fun thing to be a part of and to kind of get a chance to, to just it – was, it was a time where, you know, one team lost, but other team won, but it was, a, it was bigger than that. Everyone kind of had a good time in that moment. Just wanted to take a minute to let you guys know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Built Go. Built Go will help you break through your wall. It is the healthy replacement for your energy drink, but the energy is not fake. It's lasting and natural. And I can tell you from experience, it's a fantastic product to use before playing baseball, tennis, or even frisbee golf. Built Go comes to us all from the same people who brought us the world's fastest growing protein bar, Built Bar. It will help you break through your wall. Whether it's a mental or physical wall, break through it every day with Go. It's easy to take in one and a half ounce packages, put it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever, your golf bag to power through the back nine, or put it in your pocket to get through the day. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market, plus it's natural, so it's better for the body. It comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. How does Built Go work so well? Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast absorbing, so it gets into my system fast, plus it's easy on the stomach. Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Uh, you know, you mentioned Tom Rennie briefly there, and I want to ask you about him. He's somebody who I think is kind of an underrated coach in Ranger history because, as you mentioned, going into that season, you know, you guys were picked to be one of the bottom two or three teams in the league, I think. Instead, you make the playoffs. It was a really strong season for you guys. Uh, what was it like playing for Tom Rennie? What, what do you remember about Tom? Well, Tom's very organized. And then, we, he, you know, the team had done a good job stockpiling some, some young players like Mark Stahl and Callahan. They got lucky with Girardi, really lucky with Lundquist. I think bringing Benoit Lair, the goalie coach, was a huge thing. Um, but Tom really understood players and how to manage them. Um, I know that, you know, over my time, other than my junior coach, uh, he was the player, the coach who best knew what my role needed to be and how to use me at the best of my skills. So I always looked at my best. And I really appreciate that about Tom. But he just, he just got a foundation for the organization that, you know, after that first year, I think they went on a run of a decade maybe of being, you know, no longer just, you know, afterthoughts in, in, in the Eastern and, and quite frankly, the NHL, they just, they were, they were hard, they were fast, they played well, they had good players. I mean, New York, we, I love playing there. They love their stars, but they want a hardworking team too. Mm -hmm. You know, like they love the Yagers, they love the Chris Drew, like all those big, big stars, but they want their guys to work hard. And, and uh, I think we really embodied that and started a culture that lasted for, well, really till about two or three years ago. Yeah, it was a really fun team to watch. And something else that I think kind of gets lost in the shuffle with all the excitement of that shootout win, that was actually, uh, I have it written down here, the fifth straight win for that Ranger team. And then you guys went on to go 4-1-1 one, and one in your next six games. I mean, did you feel like you guys just kind of caught a wave of momentum after you get like a crazy win like that? Yeah, you know, I think that it, it, it builds you up. You know, I think that it's, it's like when you get in a big brawl, although we don't see brawls anymore. But it yeah. brings your group together, right? And everyone kind of gets jacked up. And we, we were really lucky that, 
Um, I think we were very underrated that year. Obviously, having good goaltending helped a ton. Like, let's be honest. Lundqvist was a big help. But Yager scored whatever, 50-some goals that year. I think Straka was a hardworking player that kind of made sure all the young guys, we, you know, not that I was younger, but younger guys watched him and, and worked hard like him. Um, you know, Ruchin was a big part of that team. Kasparitis was a leader in his way. Merrick Malik, Roosevelt, like a lot of guys, they were kind of cast off a little bit. And um, we all found home there and, and a way to be a, a bigger contributor than maybe we, we would have been on other teams. And so I think it just worked. You know, even Nylander, like in his weird way, you know, he, he had a huge part for our, for our team to play with, with Yager. Absolutely. And uh, it was definitely a fun team to root for. I look back very fondly on those, those Ranger teams in those years. Uh, now, you mentioned Henrik Lundqvist. And of course, he was a rookie that season, your first season with the New York Rangers. Uh, what were your first impressions of him? Was there any way to know that he was going to go on to just basically become a legend and one of the greatest goalies to ever play the game? Yeah, no, I wish I would have known that. No, I, I honestly, I didn't even know who he was going to training camp. You have to remember, we're coming out of a lockout. You know, I'd gone to play in Hungary the year before to stay busy. And, um, you know, I showed up at training camp. I didn't really know anybody. You know, I didn't, I knew Kevin Weeks. Um, no, but really other than that, I can't think of anyone I really knew. Uh, Darius Kasparitis, I guess. And then all of a sudden through training camp, we start going, this, this young, good-looking goalie is like, you know, put it on a clinic. And I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And why is he doing so well? And so time went by and he kept improving, kept being a big part of it. And his work ethic was off the charts. Like he put so much time in, it was unbelievable. And I was really impressed by him, his work ethic. And, and the talent took over after a while, right? And, and his dedication to it and his, you know, his just, he was such a hardworking guy. Even in practice, if you scored him, he'd ask you to come back sometimes and take that same shot. You're like, buddy, I was lucky to get it off once. You know, I'm not Yarmory Yager here. You know, like, here, yeah. I didn't know where it was going. So, yeah, he, he was a huge part of it. And he's, you know, I still see him. My, uh, when he was leaving, um, even now when he comes through Edmonton, I'd, I'd go, go down the rink and see him. And at last year, I had a really nice visit with him. Actually, uh, he wasn't playing in Edmonton. And I got to visit with him for probably 30 minutes. We had a good chat. And, you know, it's funny to see him as a rookie and now as a, as a grizzled veteran, right? There's a few more gray hairs and a few lines in his, in his face. But, you know, he's still, you know, just talking about his craft. And I think to play a long time at the NHL any level, you really got to be dedicated to it. You know, it's, it's not a, a five-day-a-week. It's seven days a week all year round. The way you eat, train, um, prepare, all that stuff, exercise, all that stuff. And, and, and uh, Henrik really had that figured out at a young age. Yeah, and it's for me, I mean, it's going to be very surreal seeing him play with any team other than the New, yeah. the New York Rangers next season. What do you think that's going to be like uh, seeing him in Washington Capitals Red next season? Yeah, it'll be different. Um, and you can kind of see it coming, you know, and, yeah. and unfortunately, um, you know, it, 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 it will be weird because I think he, he is the king. I mean, he is the king of New York, I, I think. But, um, you know, time, everything, everything evolves, right? And, and, you know, we saw Ray Bork leave Boston, Joe McGinley leave Calgary. You know, all these great players, they, you know, eventually things change and, and it's unfortunate. But I think for Hanky, I think he's found a good spot there um, to, to land with another young goalie he can, he can work with and still get his numbers. I think he'll have a good year um, uh, behind that team. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, if, if the Rangers get eliminated in the playoffs next season, I mean, go Caps, because I, I definitely want to see Henrik Lundqvist win the Stanley Cup for sure. Shifting gears just a little bit here, I wanted to go back to, uh, you know, when you were drafted by the New York Islanders back in 1994. You go in the third round, number 63 overall. Uh, what was that day like for you? Were you nervous? Were you watching on TV? I mean, and what was your reaction to, to finding out that you were taken by the Islanders? So it was a little bit different back then. I believe the draft was midweek. 
And I didn't go to the draft. I was ranked in like the fifth or sixth round. So my agent said, you can just stay home. And I, I was really hockey naive. You know, I just love playing hockey. I didn't know the business part of it. And I didn't really care to, I just wanted to play. And I just come off winning a, a championship in junior hockey in Canada. Um, so I just stayed home. The draft's in uh, Hartford. And uh, all of a sudden about eight in the morning, eight thirty in the morning, the phone rings. And I was sleeping actually. My mom comes in and she's like, uh, the phone's for you. So I pick it up and it was someone from the Anders. Hey, congratulations. We just drafted you in the third round. I'm like, awesome. And that was it. So hung up. Um, my mom said, what happened? I said, I just got drafted. So my dad came home from work at lunch. I took my sister out of school at lunch and we went out to eat at a restaurant here to celebrate. And then two weeks later, roughly, I got an, a, a, a jersey in the, in the mail from the Islanders. And I hung that in my room and that was it. Uh, you know, then about maybe a little less than a, two weeks later, we were in New York for a, for a um, uh, you know, summer training camp for my first time ever to, I don't know, if, maybe the East Coast, but for sure New York and Ireland. And uh, that was it. And uh, it was pretty anticlimactic. And, and you know, I, I, I never really, um, getting drafted was a big deal. And I think that was the first time I believe I could actually play in the NHL because someone took me to the third round. But, you know, it was just a step. And I think that people, you know, they, when you get drafted, it doesn't mean also you're a better player. It just means that someone recognizes you're here. You got to keep working. And, and I think for a lot of people, they, they think that that means I've made it. And I, I don't think it means anything like that. It means that someone's recognized where you're at now. But to get to the NHL, you have so far to go. Um, I think a lot of people kind of um, get those two mixed up. Yeah, you know, it's once you're drafted, you know, you got to keep working to get your way into the NHL roster. And then I, I think probably, and you could test this better than I can, but you probably have to work even harder just to stay there because there's somebody else who wants your job. Yeah, I was, uh, I was lucky that after I got drafted, the Islanders, um, one of the few favors they did for any of their players, they hired a personal trainer here in Edmonton, a uh, guy, and he'd go on to be the trainer for the um, Carolina Hurricanes for like 20 years, and uh, Pete Friesen. And uh, he, he, had, he trained us. And I, and I was a hard worker. Like, I, I would do a lot of stuff by myself, like running and running stairs, lifting weights, all that stuff. But it wasn't really organized. So now under him, it was formalized. And we'd work out two, three hours a day um, all summer. And uh, I got in really good shape. I learned how to be a pro, um, like, as far as working out. And I, and I changed a lot that over that summer. And then the next two, three summers, I went back to them again. And I grew a lot. I put on about 10 pounds. And really became a bit of a man, but that was a huge like downers were way above their way before their time as far as putting effort in, in, their, in their investing in their players. And I know that that's a reason, one of the huge reasons I was able to make it is because of those summers with Petries. Something else I got to ask you about: a uh, very unique situation. You are traded from the Islanders to the Vancouver Canucks, and then uh, you actually end up getting into a fight with the man you were traded for, Gino Ochik. And I'm just wondering, I mean, what was that like? You know, first of all, getting traded. I mean. Do you take that personally? Do you just understand that it's part of the business? And then, you know, playing the, the Islanders the very next day. I mean, what was that like? It had to be a crazy 24 hours for you there. Yeah, to be honest, I wasn't upset about being traded from Islanders. I wasn't looking to it. I did, it wasn't like anything I thought about. But when I did, you know, the Islanders are a bit of an unstable organization at that time. And it was, you know, it wasn't maybe the, the, the best spot. So I was traded to Vancouver. It was closer to home. And a lot of my, my, my idols were there, like Mark Messi was playing on the team, like, what a crazy thing that is. So anyway, so what happened was we played in Edmonton the night before. We fly into Vancouver as an Islander. Get to our town. Everyone on the airplane is talking about, you know, trade deadlines coming up. It was only a few days away, I think. And um, I got to my room and the phone rings. And uh, my, mar my roommate was Martin Lapointe. And he's, or not Martin Lapointe, uh, Martin, 
Oh, geez, I can't remember that. But anyways, my roommate, he's like, hey, um, you better go and uh, answer it. So I go and answer it, and it's uh, Mike Milbury. Hey, Strutty, thanks for everything we traded you to Vancouver. Uh, Mike, can you go call you? See you later. Click. Wow. You know, wow. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, love you too. So then uh, the phone rings, Mike Keenan is like, hey, Strutty, or Jason Strutty, Mike Keenan, we're happy to have you. Be downstairs in 15 minutes. Someone's going to take you for a press conference, and then you're going to go to a new hotel. So I pack up all my stuff, and I'm kind of shell-shocked, right? This is before cell phones and, you know, where TSN has everything on there. So I walk out, um, say goodbye to my roommate, go downstairs, and uh, someone picks me up. I go to the rink for uh, an interview. And as I'm walking down to the dress room, Juno uh, Ojek's walking out. He just kind of gives me a high, high, whatever. I didn't know him. So now I get in the dress room. The first, one of the first questions the guy says is, you know what? Gene Ojek said he's not upset about being traded, just being upset being traded for a nobody. So, you know, I had, a, I had an ego and I was pissed off, to be completely honest. So yeah. I decided right there I was going to fight him. I knew I wouldn't win, but I was going to fight him. So, uh, you know, right as soon as the game starts the next night, uh, I'm chasing him and kind of going after him. He's like, wait, wait, I've got a bad back. Then eventually we, we, he drops his gloves and we fight and he kind of, he, he didn't beat me up, but he won for sure. And, um, and so I felt a lot better, but all my teammates couldn't believe that I fought him. They're like, why would you fight that guy? He's an animal. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, and I think it was a really good thing for me to do for the organization and the coaches to see like, I'm here to play. And the fans, they liked it. And so after the game, I was asked like, hey, why did you fight June Ojek? I said, because he didn't know who I was. So I thought I'd introduce myself. And that was it. And it was, it was funny how sometimes things work out. Like it could not have gone better, scripted a better first game uh, for me to take on a, a, a Canuck legend, you know, in, 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 and really an NHL legend. Uh, I think I'm just lucky he didn't, he didn't kill me uh, by beating me up too bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't sell yourself short, man. You know, I watched the fight on YouTube. I, I mean, he did land. I would say he landed the hardest punch of the fight, but yeah. you landed a couple yourself, man. I, I thought you hung in there and I, I – here I call it a draw, or am I am I giving you too much credit there? I think you gave me two. Be nice, John. But yeah, you know he, he we've talked about. We've had him on a radio show since then. We both laughed about it. Like you know, you, you got to take understand. It's an emotional time for him too. He just got traded from his favorite place. He didn't want to get traded. Like yeah. I, I get I get all those things, but you know, still as a, as a, a young hockey player, you have to have an ego. You got to have some swagger. And I was pissed off, and I'm like, we're doing this bad, and so it was good. It all worked out for everybody, and. You know, Gino is a really nice guy. All right. Once again, a big, big thanks to Mr. Jason Strudwick for joining the show here today, reminiscing about his time as a New York Ranger, as well as just a player in the National Hockey League. Uh, just had an absolute blast talking to Jason. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it as well. And uh, we will have part two of our conversation in tomorrow's episode. But that will do it for today, guys. Once again, if you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Definitely give us a follow on Twitter as well, at LO underscore. NY underscore Rangers. Once again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time.